is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, spooky people. I'm getting rid of that. That's annoying. I was trying to play with fun effects to do for a uh, Halloween-y, spooky-type day, and I found the crows, and I liked them, and now I realize that they might be too much. Could you imagine listening to that for, like, a whole episode of just spooky crows? We're not going to think about that. So, um, today, because it is the spoopy season, and, you know, I'm feeling festive because Halloween is oh so close... Um, I decided to try and pick a, um, spooky type true crime. Not that, you know, all true crime isn't spooky considering it is people being murdered. Um, but some, you can, you know, agree with me, are spookier than others. I'm not, I'm not bold on saying that that is a true statement. Some are spookier than others. Um, and yeah, you know, I've switched... (laughs) to, uh, Pino, I was gonna say, I switched to Pinot Grigio lately, and that's been biting me in the ass, because I know Blasphemous for a podcast called Cabernet and True Crime, um, but, you know, I've been, I've been switching around lately, and all it's led to is hangovers, so I don't know why I'm doing that. I also don't know why, I didn't open this file before I started recording, because apparently (laughs) that's what today's gonna be like. Where are we? Who are we talking about today? Why am I asking you who we're talking about today? Oh, okay. We're good. We're doing great. It's, you know, it's been a long day uh, watching the Browns lose miserably. Really just delightful. But I did get to surprise one of my friends. Uh, He has been in um, a different state. I can't tell you which one for work for the last, like, five weeks, and his girlfriend wanted to throw a surprise party for him, so that was pretty cool. We got to do that today, and he was totally surprised. So, um, okay, that's enough about me, because it finally loaded, so I can stop talking about myself and my problems, and get on to who we want to talk about. Okay, so, are you guys ready, because I sure am, to talk about the vampire of Sacramento, Richard Chase? So, I I very distinctly remember seeing him on an episode of something. It was probably Forensic Files, because let's be honest, it was probably Forensic Files. And um, I do remember, I'm not ruining anything for you, because I'm going to tell you the story anyways, but I do distinctly recall, like, investigators stormed this dude's apartment, and, like, I don't know if it was just the, the, the dramatization or whatever, but, like, everything was covered in blood, and that is just so fucking crazy to me, and in researching this guy, like, his whole backstory, he is another one of those ones that had somebody actually gone out of the way to, like, truly help this person, maybe we wouldn't be here. So, um, yeah, let's go. Let's just, let's just talk about it. Um, so, Richard Chase was born on May 23rd, 1950 in Santa Clara, California, which is two days before my birthday. Definitely not the same year. Um, He came from a middle-class home, and his parents didn't get along very well, and they fought all the time. In 1962, when Richard was around 12, his parents divorced and his father remarried, Um, but two years earlier, he had um, started killing cats, and apparently people knew about that, so why they were like, that's cool, just murder cats, it's fine. Um, 
And it should be noted that um, other signs of the McDonald triad were also present at this age. So around 10, he started exhibiting signs of the McDonald triad, which um, is bedwetting, arson, and cruelty to animals. That whole spiel. That's the McDonald triad. And it, if you don't know what that is, um, it's basically... It's saying that there are so many serial killers who fit that McDonald triad that during their childhood, they all experience some form of these three things. Um, even two out of three sometimes is common. Um, so bedwetting, arson, and the cruelty to animals. But also, as I've said in previous podcasts, I also feel like head injuries play into that as well. There are several serial killers who um, exhibited maybe one or two of the the McDonald triad, but then also they ended up hitting their head or suffering like some awful head injury and then they end up like being kind of off um which is one of them is uh Gary Heidnick who I've talked about so and there's I mean there's several more than that so I'm not basing I'm not basing that that off of one data point believe me there's more than that um so around this time as well Richard began as teens usually tend to do, um, rebel against his family and, quote, the system, um, with, you know, normal acts of rebellion, drinking, drug usage, and wild parties, um, in, which, you know, in itself is not alarming. A lot of teens do that kind of stuff, um, but there were other things that he did that were not so normal or just brush-offable, such as killing small animals and, you know, um, drinking their blood. Uh, so, that's, you know, strange, but it gets weirder. It gets so much weirder. So, um, he had become sexually active. Ooh, no, sorry. Um, in 1968, at the age of 18, he went to see a psychiatrist because he had become sexually active, but his many girlfriends complained that he couldn't keep an erection. He learned that the root cause of his impotence was related to repressed anger. At least that's what the psychiatrist told him. In 1971, he was arrested for possession of marijuana. I do not know if he spent any time in jail. I just know that he was arrested. Um, and then in 1973, he spent some time in a psychiatric ward. Which, from said psychiatric ward, I'm assuming he was just released, and it was non-eventful. I don't have any other notes on that. Um, in 1976, at the age of 26, Richard Chase began to believe that his blood was turning into powder, and that he needed to get blood from other creatures in order to replenish it. He thought that his bones were, um, so the bones in his skull, he thought they had become separated and were moving around, like, tectonic plates under his head, like, under his skin scalp. I almost said head scalp, head skin scalp. Um, and so he, he would keep his head shaved very closely so he could monitor the activity of what he thought were his bones moving around underneath his skin. Um... He also was insistent that his stomach was inside of him backward. He was concerned that his heart would often stop beating, and he actually ended up in the emergency at one point because he firmly believed that someone had, quote, stolen his pulmonary artery, which if you don't know what that is, I had to look it up because it sounded familiar, but I wasn't sure. It's a very large vein in, in, like, in your heart. It's, like, part of your heart. So it's not something... I mean, not that anybody would steal an artery from somebody to begin with, because that's just absurd. Who steals veins and arteries out of people? 
but if they were, if there was some crazy person who wanted to steal your veins and your arteries, I'm pretty sure they're not going to go, or maybe they would. Maybe it's like a, like a grand heist. Like they're going to take your pulmonary artery. Yeah. So he was convinced that somebody stole that, um, and he would, uh, oh, he would often hold oranges up to his head because he believed he could absorb vitamin C through diffusion. I tried doing that with college, not, not for real. I tried doing that with college notes in college. Like, um, some of my biology tests were so hard that I would just jokingly like rest, like rest my head and hope that if I slept on my book, like maybe I would absorb some of the knowledge. I didn't. Um, and I'm sure he didn't get his vitamin C from holding oranges up to his head either. You know, people. So he moved out of his mom's house, uh, at some point, which I don't have a year here. Um, Assuming in the midst of all these things, uh, he believed that his mom was trying to poison him, so he rented an apartment with friends where his roommates complained that he was constantly high on alcohol, marijuana, and LSD. He would walk around the apartment butt-ass naked with no concerns if guests were over. Um, and it's funny, his roommates asked him to move out. They're like, listen, Richard, we don't fucking want to live with you anymore. Like, you're always naked. You're always tripping on drugs. Like, we don't want you to live here anymore. But he refused to leave. So he's like, no, I'm not leaving. And then all the roommates moved out instead. And that was just fine. Um, During this time, well, I mean, he goes, so Richard Chase, go, well, I'm about to spoil where this is going, but he's going to go to a psychiatric asylum. Um, In this whole time of him living in an apartment, his mother is paying for it. So she just kind of put him out in an apartment and was like, here, I'll pay for all your things and like, just kind of do that. Um... So, after his roommates moved out, uh, Richard gets weirder, if that's possible. He starts, uh, catching, catching or buying rabbits, killing them, disemboweling them, and eating their entrails raw. Um, he would also sometimes put the intestines, blood, and Coca-Cola into a blender to liquefy them in order to, quote, keep his heart from shrinking. Um, I don't know what the Coca-Cola is supposed to be for, maybe offset the flavor, but something tells me that the Coca-Cola is not going to really, you know, offset the flavor of disemboweled rabbit. But that's just personal. I I would never know. Um, so he, uh, during this time, gets the idea that he's going to just skip the middleman, why drink your rabbit's blood, when you can inject it instead. So he injects rabbit blood into his body and obviously gets very sick from this incident because why would you ever inject another creature's blood into you that like, and and not like in, you know, there's ways, there's reasons for that to be acceptable, like in a hospital setting where they've done the test to make sure that it's not going to kill you, but sticking random, probably feral rabbit blood into your body is probably not the best idea but that's just me to each their own. Uh, so he ended up in a mental ward because he injected himself with rabbit's blood. Okay. Other, um, patients slash inmates and nursing staff were terrified of Richard Chase. Um, they actually called him a vampire or no, they called him Dracula. I didn't write that down cause I figured I would remember that and then I fucked it up. So that's good. Um, they called him Dracula because, on one occasion, they found he had caught two small birds and bit their heads off and drank their blood. 
as one does. Um, also, he extracted blood from therapy, to- therapy dogs with stolen needles. So he was, like, stealing needles to inject, like, to, to like, steal these dogs' blood. Which is just so fucking weird. Um, he was immediately diagnosed with schizophrenia, so good. Um, in 1977, he was deemed well enough to be out in normal society. How? I don't know. I think they, they were saying on the, on the premise that he stayed on his drugs and took them every day and was watched and closely monitored, he could be out in, like, society. Like, in a structured environment, he would do okay. Um, the problem is, he was released to his mom to care for him, and she, you know, got the apartment, paid his rent, and just kind of let him be. She didn't, you know, take him under her care and make sure that he was taking his pills and make sure that he was doing what he needed to be doing. And that's kind of probably the downfall here. Um, so on August 3rd, 1977, Richard Chase has been stopped and arrested in Nevada his body was covered in blood, and so he he got pulled over and tried to tell the police that the blood was his and that it had, quote, seeped out of him. And police also found a bucket of blood in his truck. Um, it was later determined to be bovine blood and no charges were ever filed, which shouldn't... I, I guess that's not a crime, but wouldn't you have concerns? This person who was in a mental asylum, like a psychiatric ward, for injecting rabbit blood, wouldn't that show up on someone's, like, permanent, you'd think, like, the police pull him over and look it up, and they're like, oh, yep, this guy, I mean, maybe it's because it was in a different other state, but, like, (laughs) I feel like there should have been better checks and balances on that one, like, this dude who was stealing blood from you know, therapy dogs is caught covered in bovine blood, you'd be like, hmm, something's not right here. Maybe we should investigate this just a little bit further. Uh, But they didn't. In December of 1977, Richard buys a 22 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Um, once again, background checks, question mark? Okay, Um, during this time as well, I read somewhere that he had burned down a neighbor's garage. Um, I've only read that one place, but it seemed worth telling you guys about. I mean, I'm assuming it's probably true, because why would somebody lie about that? But also, I don't know. So, apparently, sorry, I'm drinking a White Claw, and like, I I can't, (laughs) I have to keep breaking so I don't, like, burp right into this. It's, yeah, it's fine. Um, he burned down the neighbor's garage so they would leave the neighborhood because he didn't like their music, is the whole story. Um, also in December, so on December 29th, 1977, 51-year-old engineer, husband, and father Ambrose Griffin was killed in a drive-by shooting. He and his wife had just returned home from the grocery store and were unloading their car. His wife said that she heard um, her husband yelling at something and then heard two popping sounds and watched her husband fall to the ground. So initially, she had thought he had a heart attack, um, but quickly realized that he had been shot. Police found two 22 caliber bullet casings on the pavement outside the Griffin home. And then there was also a report from two, two days earlier of a woman who had been shot at through one of her windows. Um, and then police also found a casing outside her home as well. Um, after some forensic work, it was determined that the bullets had come from the same gun, and that, however, is, like, where the leads dry up. 
So they they had this weird rash of, you know, a couple shootings. And it wasn't just these two. There were a couple other stories of just people in this kind of neighborhood. A, a random, scraggly-looking guy with a gun just kind of shooting around. Like, not necessarily at people. Obviously, Ambrose Griffin is a different story. But for the most part, he was just shooting everywhere. Like, just in general. So, um... Richard Chase, at this time, begins a weird string of attempted and only mildly successful break-ins. On January 23rd, a woman named Jean Layton noticed an unkempt man strolling toward her home. He tried the patio door and windows and found them all locked. She met him at the back door, staring him down, like, bitch, but you best try not to come into my house. Like, nope. And, uh... He stared her down for a minute and kind of, like, look-eyed her over and saw what she was all about. And then he lit a cigarette and left. And so, upon later investigation, like, when all this was kind of said and done, Richard Chase said that he believed that if a person's door was locked, it meant you weren't welcome. But if it was unlocked, like, you're welcome to come inside. So, because all her doors were locked and then she was standing at the back door, he realized he wasn't welcome obviously, and then just left. Um, I don't know why you'd ever assume you're welcome in somebody else's house, like a stranger, um, because you're not, whether the door is unlocked or otherwise, but, um, you know, isn't it like a vampire rule? Like, I mean, I don't know any, I don't really know that much about vampires, um, but, like, if somebody invites you in, like, hey, come into my home, like, you're welcome to come in there, and then you can, like, suck their blood, is that how vampires work? Probably. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so, weird sidebar, got, got me thinking about vampires now. Um, so a couple houses down, uh, Robert and Barbara Edwards were bringing in their groceries from a shopping trip. These people and their groceries, he's just attacking people, and like, well, that just shows you, he was attacking people and doing this in broad daylight, like, it wasn't nighttime where he's creeping up on people's houses, it's like 12 in the afternoon, people are home and outside, and he's like, I'm just gonna try to tug on all your door handles and see if I can get inside your house. Obviously, no, you're not welcome. You don't know these people. It's daytime. Um, so these uh, Robert and Barbara Edwards were bringing in their groceries from a shopping trip. They heard a noise inside their home, and when they approached, heard a window slam at the back of the house. So, uh, shockingly to them, so they heard this door slam or this window slam in the back of the house. You'd think whoever, who was ever like, oops, I'm caught, would run like, a different direction. Because if you heard the car pull up, you'd know there was a car in the driveway. So why would you run toward the driveway, because that's exactly what Richard Chase does, they, like, so they're, like, standing by their car, they heard a window slam, and they wait for a second, and they see a man who's, like, super skinny and disheveled walk around the house at them, and then, like, tr- look them down and be like, hey, guys, I'm here, he didn't say anything to my knowledge, but looked at it, looked at them, like, bitch, I was in your house, and then, um, Robert tried to chase after him, but, uh, Richard, well, obviously, the spindly, creepy dude is Richard. He jumped the fence and got away. Um, so when Richard, or sorry, Richard, when Barbara and uh, Robert got into the house, um, they called the police and all that. Um, the way the house was destroyed, it was very obvious that it was a um, burglary. Like the Richard was looking for items to steal. Um, but he had peed in a drawer of baby clothes and also pooped on the baby's bed. Just strange. Um, so after breaking into the Edwards home, Richard Chase arrived at the home of Teresa Wallen. Um, and this is where 
this is where Richard Chase isn't just well. I mean, obviously with the murder of Ambrose Griffin, like, but that in later day in later times when they investigated everything, it was it was determined that like he Richard Chase obviously killed him and it was intentional. But it wasn't like a, I'm gonna hunt this person down and kill them. Apparently he something had happened with his mom. I'm sure I'll talk about it later. But something had happened with his mom and he was just driving around pissed and just firing the gun and he killed. He'd more or less accidentally killed Ambrose Griffin. It wasn't like him hunting down. He obviously didn't like drink his blood or anything. He just kind of it just kind of happened. Um, this is where it's not just kind of happening. This is with a lot of malicious intent and with a goal, you know, in mind. So keep it in mind that these, this whole thing, Gene, Gene Layton, the, the whole him staring her down in the house and then Robert and Barbara Edwards. And then this next thing that we're going to talk about, we're all on the same day and they all live relatively close to each other. So it wasn't just some random, like whatever he was like on the street patrolling for like a hit, a right house. So he was, you know, waiting to see who he was going to get. He was on the prowl for it. Um, so he arrived at the home of Teresa Wallen. He stormed into her home. So I'm assuming her door was unlocked. Um, he stormed into her home while she was in the process of trying to take out the garbage. Um, she dropped the bag when she saw him and he raised his gun and shot her two times. So the, um, she raised her hand up to defend herself. Um, the bullet went through her palm, up her arm, and exited near her elbow, nicking her neck. The second bullet went into her head, right at the top of the skull. She fell to the ground, and Chase positioned himself over her body and shot her in the temple, and then dragged her into the bedroom. Um, so he returned to the kitchen and got a knife um, and dug around the trash bag Teresa had been carrying to find an empty yogurt container. So we'll go back to that. Um, David Wallen, her husband, returned home from work, um, you know, probably excited. Teresa Wallen was three months pregnant at the time, so probably excited to come home and see his wife. Um, their dog, which was a German shepherd, was inside waiting for him. Uh, the stereo was on and there was a bag of trash discarded on the floor. And David, well, he was the one who found his wife. Um, and she was very badly mutilated. Um, her sweater was pulled up over her head and her pants and underwear were around her ankles. Her left nipple had been removed and her belly had been cut open. Uh, her spleen and intestines were pulled out and she had been stabbed repeatedly in the lung, um, the lungs, liver, and left breast. Her kidneys had been cut out and her pancreas was cut in two. Um, and her kidneys were actually put back together inside her. Like they were placed back together and put back into her body. Um, and the, the worst part is that she had dog feces stuffed in her mouth and down her throat. Um, so there was blood smeared all over the bathroom, and there were strange rings of blood around her body, as if a bucket had been, like, picked up and set down, like, cup rings around the room, um, except it was from, obviously, from a bucket. Uh, they found out uh, Richard Chase had sexual intercourse with Teresa Wallen's lifeless body. On January 27th, so four days later, right? Yeah, four days later... 38-year-old Evelyn Maroth was sit babysitting her nephew, who was a year and a half um, old, in her home, which was about a mile away from the murder site of Teresa Wallen. Evelyn's friend, Dan Meredith, who was 51, was also inside the home. 
Evelyn had planned to send her son, six-year-old Jason, to a friend's house, and when Jason didn't arrive, someone went to the home to check on the family, and when no one answered the door, a neighbor entered the home. And if you didn't think it was already really dark, it's about to get a lot worse. Um, so... In so a neighbor arrived. So from what I understand from reading this, um, the son, uh, David, yes, Jason. Sorry, the son Jason, um, was going to a neighbor's house. Like it was just down the street. It wasn't like a a long hike. Like he was just supposed to go maybe even across the street and like see his friend. So when he didn't show up, the neighbors came, and when the neighbor um entered. They saw Dan Meredith in the hallway in a pool of blood. So that was the older the older friend. Um, so obviously police were called to the scene and they began their investigation. Um, Dan had been shot in the head. And from the investigator's viewpoint, they saw blood in the bathroom and what appeared to be bloody water in the tub. Evelyn was in her bathroom, or in her bedroom, sorry, naked on the bed, spread eagle. She also had a gunshot wound to the head. And her torso was cut open, like Teresa Wallen. Her intestines had been pulled out of her body. Whoever attacked her had apparently surprised her while she was taking a bath, killed her in the bathroom, and then took her to the bedroom. She had been sodomized with a carving knife, stabbed through the anus to her uterus at least six times. Her neck had been slit several times, and it looked like whoever attacked her had tried to carve out one of her eyes. Like Wallen's scene, there were bloody bucket rings around around the whole crime scene, and inside her body, body was a large amount of semen. Next to the bed was six-year-old Jason. Um, he had been shot in the head twice at close range. Which is, the weird thing is, is that Richard Chase had been spotted near the home at the time, but they nobody knew who he was then. Um, they had gotten a physical description that was similar to the other descriptions that police had received from these break-ins and from um, all of the situations that have happened. Obviously, if you've seen the thumbnail on Instagram, Richard Chase is a very specific kind of creepy-looking guy, and I think he, his demeanor and his personality kind of stand out, I would assume. If you saw him walking down the street, you would remember distinct parts about him enough to you know, write a description of him. So they were starting to put it together who they thought this person was. Um, they also had shoe prints around the crime scene that were similar to the ones found in Wallen's home. A Dan's, a Dan Meredith's car was missing from the front of the house, um, where neighbors had seen it that, that morning. And from what I remember, he drove a pretty distinct car. I think it was a red type of station wagon. Um, the babies, so this is where it gets extra, just extra dark. The baby's mother arrived at the scene asking for her son. So up in this point, because it wasn't her, it wasn't, um, <clears throat> it wasn't Evelyn's son. So they probably didn't know he was supposed to be there. They didn't notice his absence was, absence was weird. So when, um, the baby's mom shows up, that's basically like an oh shit moment because they don't know where he's at. Um, so there was, um, a crib, I think, there, but I don't know if crib is the right word, if it was just being babysat, but it was her sister, so maybe. Um, but there was a bullet hole in, like, in a pillow in the crib and a lot of blood also there. It was only found out later that Richard Chase had killed the baby and mutilated it in the bathroom, um, something along the lines of 
cutting open its head and spilling its brains into the bathtub. Um, it appeared that the neighbors coming in to check on the family startled him when he was in the process of what he was doing. He fled the scene, taking the baby's body with him. Um, when he got it home, he removed several of its organs and ate them. Uh, but the good news is that police are on to Richard now, though. They have a good idea of who he is. And, um, you know, they're starting to get an idea of, like, what his deal is. So he'd been really sloppy in the commission of his crimes. He left perfect handprints in Evelyn's blood. He had also probably walked around in broad daylight covered in blood. He had taken Dan's station wagon, which was found not far from Evelyn's home. And ironically, when they found Dan's uh, station wagon, it was less than 100 feet away from Richard's apartment. They just didn't know it yet. So Robert Ressler, our love, Robert Ressler, and Russ Vorpagel uh, were actively profiling Richard Chase. They knew he was disorganized and possibly suffered from psychosis. <clears throat> he had clearly not planned any of these crimes and didn't try to destroy evidence. They knew his appearance and living situation would probably be as sloppy as the crime scenes. Because the crimes happened so close to one another, and because he only stole a vehicle in the um, once he left, so he only stole... He didn't steal a vehicle at all in the first murders, first murder, and then he had gotten to the second crime scene and then stole a vehicle. They were assuming that he had to have lived in the area because he was walking to these crime scenes. He couldn't live too far away. Um, <clears throat> so they concluded that he was a white male in his mid-twenties, probably thin and malnourished. Obviously, from the physical descriptions, he was kind of bony, um, spindly kind of guy. They figured his place of living would most likely be a treasure trove of evidence against him. So if they could just find where he lived, they wouldn't really have to, they wouldn't have to build a case. Like they would just need to find where he lived and they would find all the evidence that they needed to convict this guy. Um, they said that most likely this man had a history of mental illness and maybe even drug use and that he was probably unemployed and receiving disability money. Um, he most likely lived alone and could possibly suffer from paranoia. Um, police questioned everyone in the neighborhood and began to get a description or drawing put together to hunt the lunatic down. Um, most of the people's descriptions were vague and unclear, um, you know, very general, except for one woman. So this is so crazy because this is how this is how Richard Chase is going to get caught. And it's such a weird like interaction with one person that really just sealed the fate of Richard Chase. So <coughs> excuse me. Uh, this woman named Nancy Holden had ran into a man back in December at a shopping center. So he had approached her and asked, were you on the motorcycle when Kurt was killed? She, 10 years earlier, had dated a man named Kurt who had died in a motorcycle accident. She asked the, the stranger who was talking to her his name because he looked kind of familiar and he replied his name was Rick Chase. She had known him in high school. So he had known her ex, well, her boyfriend, Kurt, who killed, who was killed on the motorcycle accident. So she knew him. She known that he had gotten into drugs, um, which there had been rumors, which were obviously true. 
But she noticed that something was wrong with this guy. He was dirty, disheveled, anxious, and she even noted that, like, the way he behaved around her made her nervous. So she had talked to him trying to leave, like, so she went to the checkout, paid for her items, and was like, okay, goodbye, like, I've done what I need to do here, get away from me. And she, like, hustled to the parking lot, where Richard is, like, following her the whole time. He's like, oh, hey, can you give me a ride? Like, oh, let me just pop in your car, like, let me, can I get a ride from you? And she rushed inside the car and locked herself in before he could get inside the vehicle. So she knew given by a description of, so it was said that he was wearing, I think, I didn't write it down, I have too much trust in myself that I'm going to remember these things, and I'm like, I don't need to write that down because I'll remember it, but I won't, um, I'm pretty sure he'd been wearing, like, a very specific orange, I want to say orange poncho, or, like, orange raincoat, like, it was a very specific article of clothing, like, you'd be like, yep, I remember that, so whatever police had said in their description of, like, oh, yeah, we saw this really creepy, kind of weird, spindly dude wearing an orange poncho, and she was like, holy shit, that's Richard Chase. Like, I can 10 out of 10 tell you that's Richard Chase. So, um, their other clue was the registration of the 22 caliber semi-automatic handgun that he had purchased. He went back and got ammo on January 10th. So, they had two records of him purchasing the gun and also purchasing the ammo. So, they're building their case against Richard Chase now. Um, so detectives went to, to Chase's apartment to question him. Um, but he wouldn't open the door. So they, you know, moseyed off, pretended to leave, and, like, kind of hid outside. And later, Chase came out of the home with a box in his arms. So after a super intense struggle, from what I read, it was, like, pretty beefy. It was a big fight. Um, detectives apprehended him. Um, yeah, his parka had bloodstains, his shoes were covered in blood, and the gun, which was taken from him, also had blood on it. And in Chase's back pocket was Dan Meredith's wallet and a pair of latex gloves. Inside the box that Richard was carrying, detectives found pieces of blood-stained paper and rags, and when detectives questioning, questioned him, he admitted to killing several dogs, but refused to admit any part in the murders. Um, the inside of his apartment was virtually covered in blood. There were blood-stained dishes, drinking glasses, and a blender that smelled like rotting flesh. They found sp- uh, pieces of bone, containers and body parts in the fridge. Um, there were three pet collars, but no animals. And there was a circle. Um, there were also ads, like a whole bunch of classified ads of people selling dogs. Um, yeah. Which is sad. Um, his calendar... So this is so spooky. His calendar um, had the word today written on January 24th and 27th, the day the awful murders were uh, that had already been done were committed, and that word was written 44 more times on the calendar throughout the year. So this man had planned at least for the year 1977, or 78 at this time, 1977 or 78, for that year had planned on committing, you know... 44 more crimes. Uh, Richard Chase went on trial for six counts of murder starting on January 2nd, 1979. His defense was saying that he, you know, guilty or, uh, sorry, not guilty due to insanity at that whole plea. Um, so he wanted to be found of second degree murder. So he would get a life sentence, Um, based on his history of mental illness, uh, and suggested that because he was crazy that he couldn't have premeditated these crimes. So the writing of today on the calendar 46 times was not premeditated at all. Um, On May 8th, 
1980, he was found guilty on six counts of first-degree murder, and his argument, not guilty by reason of insanity, was rejected. He was sentenced to die in the gas chamber. So, Richard Chase, while he was waiting, you know, whatever, uh, granted Robert Ressler some interviews. So, if you read the book, Whoever Fights Monsters, it's got a whole section on Richard Chase. He told... Robert Ressler, about how he got to the point he was from killing neighborhood cats and dogs to shooting in the neighborhood, neighborhood where Ambrose Griffin had sadly lost his life. Um, one very interesting look into the brain of Richard Chase, so it comes from his belief in dish soap, or soap dish poisoning, sorry. And Richard Chase believed that, you know, he said everybody has a soap dish in their home, And if you take the soap and lift it up and look underneath it and it's dry, you're okay. But if you lift up the soap and it's gooey, you've got soap dish poisoning and your blood is turning into powder. And as your blood turns into powder, it drains your energy and eats away at your body. Richard also said that he was Jewish, which he wasn't, and that he at one point had been attacked by Nazis because he had a Star of David tattooed on his forehead, which he didn't. Um, He said that Nazis were connected to UFOs and that those UFOs had been the ones who had told him to kill and replenish his blood. Um, The UFOs constantly followed him around and were able to keep the FBI from pinpointing him. He also believed his prison food was being poisoned. On December 26, 1980, a guard had been doing his rounds to make sure, you know, the checks were good. Um, the checks are good. The, the inmates were good. He was doing his rounds of checks. Um, <clears throat> Richard Chase had been laying in his cot, acting and breathing normally. Later, when the guard checked again, Chase was on his stomach with his feet on the floor. The vampire of Sacramento was dead. The coroner came to the cell and found a strange suicide note left by Chase, who had apparently been hoarding his pills, um, Sinaquin, for hallucinations and depression. He had hoarded the pills over the last couple months and intentionally overdosed, um, the cause of death being um, written down as toxic ingestion. During his autopsy, they found his heart and stomach to be perfectly normal despite his lifelong concerns. He was only 30 years old. And that, my friends, is the spoopy story of the Vampire of Sacramento. I hope you guys really enjoy your Halloween. I know it's only Tuesday, so Halloween's not yet. Halloween is what? What a day of the week this? It's Tuesday, so Halloween is in two days. So I hope you all have a great Halloween, and I'll see you guys for the patron-exclusive episode on Friday the 1st, and then Serial Killer Sunday. It's all coming so fast. Like, this year is almost done already. It's almost time for the the um, 12 days of true crime, which I'm so excited to do. So if you, okay, so weird sidebar before I go. Um, if you participated in uh, the true, the 12 days of true crime last year, get ready again. It's like true crime trivia on crack. And there's also like, there's essay, well, not essay questions, but like short answer questions that you can get a lot of points for. And last year I gave away some pretty decent gifts. Um, I really like giving people gifts. And by then, friends, I might have merch for you, which is exciting, because I'm so fucking excited for it. Um, okay, so I'm done rambling. Uh, you guys are awesome. I love you, bye.